0: Hi there and welcome to another OSLA podcast from the 22nd annual ANZIC CTG meeting held in the beautiful town of Noosa Heads. My name's Todd Fraser and I'm the podcast editor. In today's podcast I'll be chatting with Ben Moran, an intensivist and anaesthetist from New South Wales in Australia and a PhD candidate at the George Institute in Sydney. Ben joins me on the podcast today to talk about one of his research interests Chronic Pain in Survivors of Intensive Care. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Todd. Thanks for having me. Ben, your study is looking at chronic pain in adult ICU survivors. How do you define chronic pain in this context?
1: It um, well, it's quite interesting. The, the taxonomy of chronic pain, particularly in survivors of intensive care, isn't well defined. Um, the um, ICD-11 was recently released, uh, last year, and, and it's defined as pain in one or more anatomical regions that persists or occurs for longer than three months and is associated with significant emotional distress or disability. Uh, but there's not a lot of information on uh, the pathophysiology or or implications of that in the, in the survivor of ICU. And there's a, a range of domains in which ICU survivors can fit into, uh, but that hasn't been... Hasn't been looked at uh, at this point in time,
0: Ben. What do we know about the potential causes? What are the speculative mechanisms that might lead to chronic pain in survivors of ICU? Um, yes,
1: yeah, So, it, if you break it down into the the biological, the social, and the psychological, um, particularly when in ICU patients, you know that that triggering event that causes critical illness can certainly cause it. And things like sepsis, trauma, uh, thought to be uh, big causes of that um, trauma. Particularly, you know, there may be a lot of nerve damage. Um, certainly, a lot of broken bones and surgery can can predispose you to getting chronic pain. And sepsis, you can imagine, um, you know, circulating cytokines. Um, you know, you know when you you sprain your ankle, you know the swelling and the and the pain you get from that. Imagine that on a whole body level. Um, and if that goes uh, poorly treated or, or continues, then, then that certainly would uh, predispose you to developing chronic pain. And the pathway is thought to be you develop acute pain, then transitional pain, which then progresses through to chronic pain. Um, in addition to the biological, you've got the presence of devices, uh, endotracheal tube, has uh, been shown to cause quite significant distress in, in patients within ICU. Um, even turning uh, can be quite painful, particularly if you've been immobile for, for a long period of time, um, having devices put in. Uh, and then you have the, the social determinants. So uh, the isolation, the fear uh, can certainly play into that. And, and psychological, so anxiety, depression, PTSD is, a, is, a big, is thought to be a big component of that. Uh, and all of these kind of reinforce um, initially during the, the early ICU stay where, where the acute phase is going on and then, you know, progressing to the transitional, which is usually kind of between two weeks and, and three months. And, and if that's left unabated, then that will progress through to chronic pain. Um, but certainly the studies looking at this uh, haven't given us any firm Etiology for uh, for developing chronic pain in ICU patients.
0: Ben, what do we know about um, the the pain that uh, chronic pain that people get after ICU at this point in time? I know your study is looking to explore this in more detail. But what uh, what's the sort of incidence that we're talking about? Where do people get it, and uh, what are the the potential risk factors that um, have been identified?
1: So the in terms of the incidence, it, it, depending on the studies you look at it. It ranges uh, um, from around about 14% to to 94%. So uh, there's a whole lot of methodological problems with the studies looking at that. But looking at patients that have some pain afterwards, and this is based on long-term studies using the pain domain for the EQ5D, it's roughly between 40 and 50%. Um, there are some admission diagnoses which have a higher incidence of chronic pain, and that's burns and trauma uh, in particular. Um, the lower ones include obstetrics, as you can imagine. But for your general ICU patient, it's somewhere between 40 and 50%. Now, the majority of um, this pain is in the back and the limbs, and, and I suspect it's probably due to prolonged immobility, um, and and so getting people up and, and moving might be a good therapeutic intervention there. Um, but as I said before, the, the risk factors for develop, developing chronic pain um, are, are inconsistent across the studies. Um, you know, increasing age and in sepsis was found in one study, but sepsis or duration of sepsis was protective in another study. Um, so we're, we're not entirely sure... Um, Risk One of the big problems is all of these studies didn't exclude patients who already had chronic pain. Uh, there are only two studies there which, which excluded them. Um, so, you know, with the baseline prevalence of chronic pain, certainly in Australia being roughly about 20 to 25%, it, it's hard to gauge a, an accurate number and an accurate set of risk factors um, without performing a, a detailed study.
0: The numbers that you provided are striking, aren't they? I mean, forty to sixty percent of patients who survive ICU having or reporting chronic pain. What sort of impact does this have on survivors and their families in the long term?
1: Um, I think it's it, it's devastating. You know, if you if you look at the number of patients per year in Australia and New Zealand. That's around about sixty to seventy thousand patients a year developing chronic pain. Um, a lot of these patients have coexisting um, problems such as post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, opioid use. Um, their their productivity goes down. Um, a lot of these patients don't go back to work. Um, they find it dev- very difficult to function within society. So it's absolutely devastating. What we don't know is precisely within the the chronic pain subset about how how bad that is. You know, we we can we can speculate at the moment, but the you know teasing that out between your, your general ICU survivor without chronic pain, you know, a lot of those problems still exist for them um, without having chronic pain. So. Um, again, where the, the evidence is, is certainly lacking in, in terms of in terms of what chronic pain specifically does for long term outcomes in our patients.
0: Now, at Noosa, at the conference, you presented um, your plan for your proposed study, the Pain ICU study, which is a multi centred observational cohort study. Can you tell us a little about what you're planning?
1: Um, so basically, we're we're following patients up for. Um six months after their ICU discharge, um, and they'll be able to uh, fill out some questionnaires, um, trying to answer a lot of the questions which you which you brought up um, earlier. Um, and using uh, regression analysis will also aim to determine uh, some modifiable risk factors uh, for developing chronic pain. So looking at things like, Uh, analgesia regimes, sedation regimes, mobility, um, things that we can actually do in the ICU that may uh, have some impact. Um, Because age and, you know, gender is a good example. You know, females are more likely to get chronic pain, um, whereas, you know, we can't do anything about gender. Um, So the trying to find a risk factor that would be amenable to some kind of therapeutic intervention. So um, we'll enrol patients at ICU discharge and follow them for six months and they can fill out questionnaires, so trying to determine um, the characteristics of their pain, if they have fulfilled the the definition of chronic pain um, as per the the ICD-11. look at the characteristics of their pain uh, including a neuropathic pain questionnaire because that's uh, having neuropathic pain and uh, treatment for that differs a little bit um, compared to um, non-neuropathic pain in terms of the medications. Uh, and then looking at associated um, problems so screening for PTSD, uh, anxiety, depression and then also um, looking at productivity and... Um, doing an economic analysis to try to answer that that question that, that we spoke about the um, you know some of the impact on on these people in in the long term. It's a well integrated cohort study, and we're, we're hoping to enrol 350 uh, patients uh, across um, eight to twelve sites in in New South Wales and Queensland.
0: Ben, what are some of the challenges associated with doing observational research in an ICU environment?
1: Um, it's, it can be quite quite challenging in terms of the the inference for the, the results that you get. Um, so a lot of the of the data is is highly correlated. Um, for example, if you sedate a patient, that may impact on your ability to do uh, a pain score, for example. Um, and you know, whether you give an opioid, that may cause some increased sedation in a patient. So, so there's a lot of collinearity between the, between the variables. Um, another issue is, particularly if you're doing longitudinal research, is the, the data can be um, highly correlated. So what that means is you know, if you have, say, five milligrams of morphine um, per hour on, on day one, that may impact... Your, how much opioid you get on day two, for example. So trying to determine, you know, how to analyse this data can be can be quite complex. You know, it's not like an RCT where the, the causal inference is 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 adjusted or is sorted because you you're randomising and you you're taking care of a lot of confounders. Where we can't do that with an observational study. And the, the statistical techniques for trying to do that can, can become quite complex, um, particularly in the presence of hyperlinearity and correlation. So um, that that's one particular particular issue. And the other one with, with longitudinal studies is that there's a significant time difference between you know, when the patient's discharged and, and the outcome that you're measuring. And, you know, you, you have seen issues like loss to follow-up, for example, and it, and it may not be, you know, it probably isn't random, um, and you need to try to assess why you know, patients are getting lost to follow-up and, and are the patients in this example, are the patients with chronic pain, more likely to be lost to follow-up.
0: Um, ben, how do you go about doing risk factor research? Do you define what you're looking for and look specifically at them or do you um, uh, employ a catch-all approach and look for patterns in the data?
1: Um, so there's a, an issue with with using a, a catch-all approach where you, you collect a bunch of variables and, and put them into a regression analysis and whatever... Um, whatever variable comes up as significant, then you, that's the risk factor. And that has some issues, particularly in the causal inference methodology. So there, are, it's known as the Table 2 fallacy where a, a variable may be included in that, but actually not be a risk factor. It may be a confounder or a, or a mediator in, in some of those causal pathways. Um, so one way of... Of accounting for this is by using um, causal graphs or directed acyclic graphs, which, which examine the causation between variables um, and particularly your your exposure, and and the outcome in particular, and and it gives you a better idea on which variables you can adjust for with confounding, um, and we've 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 looked at this um, with this study and. Um, there are a few variables which I thought would have helped been included but um, unfortunately weren't. But um, I think it, it gives a clearer idea about um, about what you're planning to do and, and some transparency so that you can say, well, this was our plan all along. We're not going, you know, dredging to find a, a statistically significant value um, just for the sake of it. Uh, so... I think having having the selected your variables a priority uh, certainly helps with that. And in this case, given that chronic pain is a um, is a a binary outcome, um, then we'll be using logistic regression.
0: Ben, we were talking before the interview began about the concept of follow-up ICU clinics. What do you think the role of those clinics would be in managing chronic pain? um i think
1: they would be amazing the integration that you'd be able to get with um, with allied health in particular and and pain specialists i think would be would be quite substantial um, having having psychiatrists uh, physiotherapists and and psychologists available in, in addition to a, a pain physician to to help as well would I think would really add to add to the the armamentarium to try to to try to tackle some of the problems with with post ICU syndrome. I, I think the way that a lot of the ICU follow up clinics are, are being run at the moment, uh, certainly New South Wales are, and and I think in, in some areas of Queensland are, you know, the the intensivist and a and a CNC um, who helps out and and then referring the patient off to different areas as, as is deemed necessary. And chronic pain clinics themselves are, are quite well established in that they have you know, the psychiatry, import, the, the psychology, they've got physiotherapy um, and, and the pain physician. So in Canada, they've got a transitional pain service um, where if your patient looks like they're developing chronic pain or on the pathway to chronic pain, that you can enrol this service and and they can come in at an earlier stage and and do the same kinds of interventions that they do in a in a chronic pain clinic um, whilst they're still in the hospital and to try to try to prevent um, because prevention is, is always going to trump uh, reactive therapies.
0: Ben, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today, and good luck with the pain ICU study. Thanks very much, Todd. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. For a range of great free interviews, just like this one, and a number of other great modules and resources, visit our website at osler.force.com.